Welcome to Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope as you listen to this message that you will encounter God's transforming presence. Walks with you every day, the, the conversations that are just so frequent between you and him in the secret place. And God, we just ask that you would pour out your spirit upon him right now, that as we get ready to receive, would you pour out your spirit in abundance over him, that he would be a conduit of heaven, that he would be a plumb line, that he would be able to be a direct route, that we would be able to hear, see, and taste of you, God, as he, as he releases the word, as he speaks of the word, and he releases your revelation, oh God, that we would not just have revelation, but we would have you within it, oh God, and that we would be willing and we would open up and we would taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. 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 Thanks, babe. Um, amazing. Well, hello, everybody. Hello. Um, yes, we had a great holiday. It was good fun. We, it was a bit of a mixed bag, and I'll tell you some testimonies from it in a second. But what I want to say first of all is that somebody asked me yesterday, where's your tan? And I can tell you something. I do have one, okay? I promise. <laughs> I'm just not necessarily the most dark complexion person in the world. So, you know, appreciate the glow of some degree. But anyway, it's good to be back. Um, yeah, we had the most amazing time. So we had two weeks off. With The first week we were in Raleigh in North Carolina at Duncan and Kate's Church, which is our first ever Catch the Fire church plant outside of Toronto, uh, which was just an amazing, amazing time to be there. We had the 30th anniversary of the revival in 1994 um, and the celebration conference of that. And we did it in Raleigh this year, which I think everyone was really thankful for because Toronto in January is really cold. And, but then the weirdest thing happened. It was actually warmer in Toronto than it was in Raleigh. <laughs> so we landed to minus eight degrees. And all the Americans were like, I don't understand what's going on. It's normally nice fall weather right now. And then, but then um, we had an amazing time. We got to stay in an Airbnb with Matt and Kate Scythel. Um, you guys remember Matt and Kate, they were the worship pastors here at Casfar London. They're now based in Atlanta. And so... Um, Matt and Kate and their little baby boy Malachi were with us, which is awesome. And they all send their love. We also were with Tom, um, Tom Alsop, who, for those of you who don't know who Tom is, Tom and his wife Abby were part of the church planting team that started this church and helped lead the church up until COVID when they planted a church to Rickmansworth. And so they run Catch the Fire Three Rivers and amazing to spend time with Tom as well. And then Alistair, who most of you should remember. Um, and so Alistair traveled down from North Dakota, and I think he was the only person there who was happy about the weather. Because in North Dakota right now, it's about minus 40 degrees. And I honestly, I'm very impressed and proud of Alistair, because when he said he was going to move to North Dakota, I asked him if he was insane. Because I've done mission trips to Africa with Alistair, and he's been wearing long johns at night and ski socks in Africa, right? And... And he does not like the cold, and yet he chose to move to probably the coldest part of America, other than maybe Alaska, and it's currently minus 40 degrees there, and snow drifts, which, if you can't imagine what that's like, find your local butcher and ask them if you can spend some time in their deep freeze for a little bit, and that's not quite as cold as it is there, which is crazy, um, but it was really good. Alistair had no idea that we were going to be there, and so... Um, Picked him up from the airport, and he did like this little happy dance, and got really excited, but it was a really, really good time um, of both encountering God and experiencing his presence, but also connecting with friends we haven't seen for a while, but also connecting with our wider church families, Catch the Fire. You know, we're part of a really big, exciting, global church family as Catch the Fire. And 
it's really, really cool to hear the testimonies of what God is doing. Like in Brazil right now, we've got a church in Novo Hamburgo um, in Brazil, and they are literally seeing revival right now. It's amazing. They have seen in the last, I think, six months, they've seen over a thousand salvations in their church. Isn't that extraordinary? And they're seeing baptisms, a lot of them particularly are from um, nominal Catholic backgrounds, getting born again, which is a really exciting preempt what I'm going to be preaching about today. Um, but God is like moving in Brazil. God is moving in Mexico. God is moving in, we've got churches in Japan who are coming from a background of really doctrinal, religious um, church practice who are getting set on fire. We've got churches in Australasia, in Australia, in um, Pakistan, hearing about what God is doing in Pakistan with the Catch Fire churches there, in Europe, all over the place. And it's just really exciting to just see how big and vibrant our church family is globally, but also what God is doing in them all. And so for me and Ashley, really the biggest, I think, blessing of all of that was just to see that we had people around us, had families and friends all around the world, the people who were asking, how, how is everyone in London? What's God doing in London? And being able to share testimony of what God is doing here as well, which is really powerful. Um, and then I, I personally had a really powerful encounter, which ended up in, I don't really remember what Cheyenne spoke on, I just remember trying to see who it was on the stage through blurry, teary-filled eyes as I was just like on the floor in a, in a mess. Um, but God was really kind, and we saw lots of kisses from heaven. And I wanted to just kind of like this morning, when I was, as often is the case, having... Um, I'm going to phrase that better. It's not as often is the case me having a shower. I shower every day, everybody, don't worry. Okay, but as, also, as is often the case, God speaks to me while, I, while I'm in the shower. And I think it's probably because it's the one place that I get on my own. I don't have the dog with me. I don't have the kids with me. Although Caleb does sometimes view it as a team sport. But I can close the door on him and I'm on my own and I'm quiet. And then God speaks. And I was in the shower this morning and God just started talking to me. And piecing together some of the journeys we had on holiday and, and really starting to speak to me about something. And so really before I get into what I plan to preach, I just want to share with you a bit of that this morning. And so um, when we were on away, like we just saw so many testimonies of God's goodness. It was extraordinary. Like even from the moment we got on the on the on the plane, I referred to it yesterday as a poor, poor man's business upgrade. Um, but we basically we got on the plane, it was a full flight. And they moved me and Ashley and the kids to two rows of three, which doesn't sound like a particularly big deal. But when you've got two little children, being able to separate them and have a whole row to yourself is awesome. And like to Isla, that was basically like first class. Like she was loving life. And so we just consistently saw these little moments of God kissing. We, we landed to pick up our car and got the most incredible upgrade to this most ridiculous car. It's called a Jeep Wagoneer, and it's got its own zip code. It's so big. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the kids were just sitting there in their massive captain chairs like kings and queens driving around. But like, and just consistently as we went along. And, and the Lord was just constantly reminding us of his goodness the whole way through. And, and all these little moments where we were just making sure we were taking heed, taking heed, taking heed. And then we, we added on a little holiday um, to, to our time in America. So we popped down. It was really easy on a little flight down to Mexico. And it was amazing. And, and some people in the church have really blessed us to be able to do that holiday. And that was extraordinary. Um, and, but also one of the things alongside the holiday is a little kind of contextualization thing is Ashley has recently registered as a travel agent as like a little side hustle and there's a few others in the room thank you Daisy she's just left she got us into it and Andrew and Sharina doing it as well and um, and just really it was for our own personal benefit of travel because you end up getting really crazy discounts on holidays which is great um, but there was something happened that was really interesting in hindsight that I hadn't recognized in the moment 
as we got to that hotel, this little kind of entitlement started to poke up in us of being like, well, we're here as travel agents. We deserve upgrades. We deserve to be wooed by this hotel so that we can get them business. We deserve this and deserve that. And we went from this atmosphere where we're seeing literally constant little moments of God moving. Like we um, were sat in a meeting in Raleigh talking to John Long, a really good friend of mine who's now the executive director of Catch Fire World. And just talking through a few things that we're going to be committing to as a church just to kind of, as we move forward in our journey. And and literally, the moment I got off of that, I got a message from our accountant we have for church being like, hey, did you know about this gift that's come in? And this huge gift had just landed in our bank account. And it's like every moment we just feel like we're doing the right thing, stepping in the right direction. God is just like, boom, releasing something. And, and we get there. And so we get, we land, we, you know, get, again, just all these little kisses from heaven. Like we have from, our, from landing to get to our hotel, a Tesla turns up to pick us up and we get driven in this Tesla all the way down to the hotel and feel very swanky and posh. And I was very excited because it's got a boot in the front and, you know, all these kind of things. And then we get to the hotel and they're like, oh, we've upgraded you. And so they've upgraded to us to this crazy hotel suite that's bigger than our flat. And, and it's all really, really good. And we're like, thank you, Jesus. You're so kind. You're so good. And then about two nights, three nights in, um, there was a conference from a pharmaceutical company going on in the same venue, and they had their final night of their conference. They did this big party, and we were like pretty much the only hotel on the family side of the hotel. We were the only room that faced towards where this party was happening, and it was loud. It was like I was sat inside the DJ booth. Now, to be fair... I said to Ash at one point, I was like, he's actually a decent DJ. Like, he was picking some really good songs, he was doing good transitions, all that stuff. But it was loud. Unfortunately, the kids fell asleep, but we did not. And, and we, we, you know, we complained about it the next day. We complained about it. But there was this moment of like, having to check ourselves and realize, have we stepped from this place of being thankful and expectant of God to move to this place of demand and entitlement and expecting there to be blessings. So we're like, we're going to complain and then maybe we'll get some extra blessing. We'll get some extra free stuff. And you, it's very subtle, but we saw the shift and we, we stepped back and we went, uh, no. And we repented. And then again, God just started to release his blessing. And, and I was, this morning, I was, I was talking to God and then I got out of the shower and I was like, I, this preach reel popped up on my Instagram of this guy preaching and he was sharing a story about how before he became a pastor, he was an itinerant minister. And he just had a baby, and he was going off on his first time to minister without his wife and kid. And he was like, oh, man, that's so hard. I don't ever want to be a dad who's away, and that becomes a negative for my child. So he's like, how am I going to make this a good thing? And so, you know, over time, he comes up with a plan. And when his daughter hits two, he's like, oh, I've got an idea now. What I'm going to do is whenever I'm away ministering, I'm going to bring back a present for her so she has a positive association to me being away not a negative which is really smart and so for three weeks he's traveling for four weeks in a row for his first three weeks he gets home and gets through the door and it's daddy and his daughter runs up to him gives him a massive hug and loves him and embraces him and cares for him and cares about him and he feels amazing and he's like oh look i've got a little surprise for you gets out a present and blesses her and she's really thankful week one goes by two goes by three goes by it's consistently the same thing Week four, he gets home, and he tells a story like this. He's like, my daughter didn't even look at me. She ran straight past me, and she raided my bag. She, the word he said used was pillaged. She pillaged his bag and was like, couldn't find anything. So looked up and went, Dada, where's my present? And in that moment, the Lord whispered to him and was like, how often do we get so conditioned into experiencing God's goodness that we start looking at the gift and not the gift giver? 
And, and I think if there's anything that I've learned on our time away is how often do we get distracted when God is good and when we're living in evidence of his goodness and when we're following him and we're surrounded by his gifts, do we start to get distracted away from the gift given to the gifts? Away from the, we get this because he loves us and we're engaging in his love and all that stuff comes anyway and it's great, but it's really just about us engaging in loving him, loving him and him loving us. And then suddenly we start to think, oh, but that's really nice. Oh, I really like that. Oh, God, look, when I love you, I get this. Oh, look, I'm just going to get this and start to expect these things. And then we get into this entitlement rather than just embracing him. And so I just wanted to kind of start in that place of actually, as we journey forward as a church, yes, God is awesome. And we will see testimonies and we will see goodness. And, And actually, I want you all to be obsessed with hunting out the goodness of God in your life so that you can give glory to him for it. But it always pushes us back to him. It always pushes us back to his face. That we'll never be entitled. We'll never be um, so bold as to assume that he just gives us stuff and we focus on those things. But we actually grasp hold of him. And we deeply romance ourselves in him. So that as those things happen, A, we never get used to it. Because then we take it for granted. But B, we always give him glory in it. And, and you start to see how God is moving things and shaping things and positioning things around you to display his glory upon you so that actually when times are hard and trials come and difficulties come, we don't then go, well, God, where have you done? Where have you gone? Where are you? Because we're not associating the goodness to our condition. We're associating him to our condition. And we need to be in that place. But today we're going to be talking about being born again. And I think that's part of this journey, is being born again. And so we're going to start off with some scripture. So I'm going to read from the New King James, Misha, and it's going to be John 3, 1 to 21. Sorry, I didn't send this in advance. Okay. But God is good, amen? And we should praise him in all things and by all things, because he is a good God. Okay, so John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So let's just stop there for a second, right? Nicodemus, he's a big deal. He's like top dog in Israel in terms of the religious order of the Pharisees. He's like up there. He's there, one of their main teachers. Um, If you want to understand a bit more of the context of that, The Chosen is a really good place to start. Season one, you get to know Nicodemus a little bit. But he's he's like a big deal. And and he's in a a bit of a knot in himself about who Jesus is. It says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and do you do not know these things? 
Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of, must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Amen. Amen. There's such a richness in this passage that we're going to get through and... um, we need to be born again. The first thing that hits out to me in verse 2 that's really fascinating is that the passage goes on to talk about light and darkness. And we have here Nicodemus, a righteous man, a religious man, a leader of the people of Israel. And when does he come to Jesus? Does he come in the clear of day, exposed for all people to see? Or does he come at night? And there's a little interesting metaphor here, actually, of like how often do we come to Jesus in darkness, in secret, rather than in light and allowing him to glorify his name through us. Now, it could look very different had Nicodemus come before Jesus because what he was doing in this moment of saying, like, I can see that you are one who moves with the power of God and that most only come from God. That's a powerful testimony. For a man of influence to say in public would have been extraordinary. And yet we find someone here who is secretive and hidden and worried about how they'll be perceived. And I think the first thing I took from this is actually how much more so should we make sure that we're never in a place of worry about how we're perceived by man when we want to know about the riches of God. And so when we are living as Christians, as Christ in the world, we need to display him, obviously. Like, do your colleagues at work know you're a Christian? Do your neighbors know you're a Christian? Do your family members know you're a Christian? When it comes to solving problems, do you approach problems with people with solutions from the throne of heaven and admit that? Or do you approach them with solutions in the most practical sense of your life? God is a good God and he's wanting to move in us today. And then goes on to talk about what he says here in verse 5. says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So being born again, there's something very much here about water and spirit. And we're going to get a bit more into this in a minute, but what I want to say to you is there's maybe let's do it more clearly is the difference between flesh and spirit. Because, you know, we believe as a church in believers' baptism. We believe in the realignment of ourselves into God through baptism in water, where we go through full of submersion under the water and brought back up again, where we have a confession of faith, we have a confession of embracing 
God and laying aside our past. And then as a prophetic act, we're laid down into the water to signify the death of our former life and raised up back again with Christ to signify our new life in him. That's baptism, and it's important, and it's a very good thing. But do you know that baptism doesn't save you? It doesn't change you in the same way that salvation does. And so therefore, what's the difference there? Your spirit has to be aligned with God, and you have to receive the spirit of God. You know, if baptism was salvation, then actually there's a whole lot of people in this world who, as children, were baptized due to a religious construct who are living very ungodly lives right now, and that would be an expression of salvation. But that cannot be the case. Salvation has to be both flesh and spirit. Let me just see if I can find a Spurgeon. There's an amazing Spurgeon sermon on being born again that punches fairly hard, unsurprisingly. Let me just read you a little bit. If it's here, here we go. From this. This is Spurgeon speaking. In daily life, our thoughts are most occupied with things that are most necessary for our existence. When there was the bread price crisis, nobody murmured that frequently on the lips of men at the time of scarcity because they felt that the subject was one of vital importance to the mass of population. And therefore they murmured not, though they listened to continual declamatory speeches and read perpetual arguments in the newspapers concerning it. I must offer the same excuse then for bringing before you this morning the subject of regeneration. It is one of absolute and vital importance. It is the hinge of the gospel. It is the point upon which most Christians are agreed, yea, all who are Christians in sincerity and truth. It is a subject which lies at the very basis of salvation. It is the very groundwork for our hopes for heaven. And as we ought to be very careful of the basement of our structure, so should we be very diligent to take heed that we are really born again and that we have made sure work of it for eternity. There are many who fancy they are born again who are not. It well becomes us then frequently to examine ourselves, and it is the minister's duty to bring forward those subjects which lead to self-examination and have a tendency to search the heart and try the brains of the children of men. I shall first make some remarks upon the new birth. And then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to move away from his quote here. But this is the point. So as Spurgeon is saying there, the new birth, regeneration, being born again in him is an absolute cornerstone to our faith. It's you know, not just a nice thing that we can say of being like, are you born again? I'm born again. Like, are you washed in the blood of the land? Yes, you're washed in the blood of the land. And let you use this language that's very Christianese and not very accessible to the public. And if you've heard much of what I've been saying recently, you'll know that I've become a little bit obsessed with the unbranding of church. Because people need to, when they get saved, not have to have a dictionary to understand what's going on. They need to be able to come in and understand what exactly something is. If you arrive with your children, you need to know where the children's ministry is. If you arrive with youth, you need to know where the youth ministry is. If you want to be part of a female group, then you need to know it's a female group. And yes, it's nice that we have all these amazing names for things. But actually, I think the church in the West over the last 25 years got carried away with branding that makes it un accessible for people on the offset because people come in and feel stupid. Whereas actually, A.W. Tozer said this, and this is about worship, but this is really cool. He said, show me the songs you sing in church and I'll tell you the theology of your church. And actually, we need to apply that across the board. When we sing words in our worship and when we 
read the scriptures and when we talk about our ministries, it all needs to be in language that's simple and accessible and understandable. Because I can tell you something, you're not going to walk around this week quoting me directly from what I'm preaching, but you might walk around singing some of the songs that have been sung this morning because they're going to be in your head because that's how the human brain works. And so we need to make sure that we make everything simple and accessible for those in the kingdom, outside of the kingdom to come into it. But this is a really fundamental, important thing. And so today we're going to self-examine and really make sure that either if you believe you were born again, that you really are, or if you have never actually walked through a journey of allowing God to indwell within you in spirit, that that actually happens today. Because it's really important. In fact, Jesus says it to the point that actually, unless you are born of the spirit, you will not be allowed to enter the kingdom of God. What are we talking about there? That's heaven. Let's give you an example. So when I was seven, I moved to Liverpool from the south coast of England all the way up to Liverpool, and it may as well have been going to another continent in the cultural differences. I immediately got labelled as posh because I did not sound scouse. I dressed differently. I sounded differently. I looked differently. I behaved differently. I was not from that region in life. And... And so I therefore could not be classed as Scouse because I was nothing like them. And so I decided I was going to go on a journey in my life. And so I was like, okay, well, look, clearly I've been around. I need to learn to act Scouse. And so I changed the way I dressed. I dressed differently. I sound differently. I got, believe it or not, a Scouse accent. So I'd be like, all right there, mate. How are you doing? Let's walk down the street. Let's do that together. And I'd, look, I'd talk like a Scouser and I'd live like that and I'd be a bit more larger than life because that's how Scousers are, right? And, and you live in that place. And, and I'm not making fun of Scousers, but actually I was just, I was embracing the atmosphere I was in and I was becoming a Scouser. But then let's say it like this. If there was a club that was a Scousers only club in Liverpool and I went to go in there and go up to it, I'd knock at the door and be like, right, I'm coming in. And I'd be like, wait, are you a Scouser? I'd be like, well, look at me. I look like a Scouser. And I'd be like, yeah, that doesn't count. Go away. And I'd say, like, okay, fine, go off. And then come back and be like, okay, I sound like a Scouser. I'm like, no, that doesn't count. Okay, fine, go away again. I'm going to change my name to be like a really Scouse name, like Fazakali or something like that. It's going to sound really Scouse. So, right, I'm going to come back. Yeah, right, exactly. I've got a good friend called Fazakali. It's great. Um, but turn up and be like, you're right, you know what, I sound scouse, I look scouse, I'm dressed up, I'm wearing my, my tracksuit bottoms with my kicker boots and I've got, a, you know, and all that stuff. And they'll be like, no, you're not scouse. I'll be like, why not? Because you weren't born here. And the only way that I could possibly attain to being a scouser was by being born in Liverpool. That is the one fundamental thing that is consistent in being a scouser, is being from Liverpool. Not adopting into Liverpool, not transferring in there, not just choosing to live there. It was being born there. And the only thing that I was powerless to change was being born there. And so try as hard as I wanted to, I was never going to be a Scouser because I wasn't born a Scouser. And it's like that for us with the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying here is we could go and knock on the doors of heaven and be like, I've dressed in my Sunday best every Sunday of my life. I look really Christian. I wear socks with sandals and I have a rainbow guitar strap and I have a fish on the back of my car and I, you know, I'm an extra special one because it says ichthys in the Greek letters in amongst the fish. So I'm really Christian. I look Christian. And it'll be like the sheep and the goats and Jesus will be like, no, but I don't know you. I'm like, okay, right. I'm going to go every Sunday. I'm going to attend every service. I'm going to be someone who does the chairs. Look, I served in the church. I'm really Christian. 
And he's like, but I don't know you. And we're going to be like, well, I'm going to learn Christianese. I'm going to speak like a Christian. I'm going to, when we get to church on a Sunday and someone says, how are you? I'm going to say, I'm wonderfully well and blessed and highly favored the Lord. How are you, my brother or my sister in Christ? And we're going to get really good at doing side hugs and sensible first meeting handshakes and really sincere eye looks. And we're going to pray really good prayers that we've learned. And we're going to talk about being washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we're going to talk about praying for the prodigals, even though we don't understand what prodigals are. We're going to do all that stuff so that we really, really get good at being chameleons who look like Christians, act like Christians, behave like Christians. But it says in the Bible, Jesus speaking here, so don't shoot me like I'm the messenger of this, right? Jesus says, unless you are born again, you will not get access to heaven. And so we could have even been baptized, gone through that profession of faith and through the waters of baptism and be like, I really am a Christian now. You're not allowed in. Because it's the spirit and the flesh. Our flesh may look Christian, act Christian, be Christian. Our flesh may step into that place of even being redeemed. And this is the thing that gets really crazy, is you could actually like live a very Christian life. And yet, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying baptism of water and of spirit. Then you're not born again. And that's a heavy word. And some of you are sat there panicking, thinking, have I got the baptism of the spirit? And that's why you end up with churches who are like, okay, unless you speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. And they really focus on it. And they're like, okay, everyone, we're going to, you know, every Monday night, if you don't speak in, cl- in tongues, you're going to come to the speaking in tongues club and we're going to gather around you and we're going to, Say to practice some words like she comes in a Honda and Kawasaki and you know all those kind of things and try and force the gift to come through you. But is a forced gift the Spirit of God moving in you? Or is it another expression of wearing it, getting the accent, getting the language, sounding scouse but not being scouse? The measure of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life is simply this the manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit. Because if you have the fruits of the Spirit, you have the Spirit. And so that's the measure there. So we don't need to worry about, have I been slain in the Spirit? Have I been shaking and hoeing and worrying in the Spirit? Have I spoken in tongues? Have I levitated? Have I prayed for someone and they've been fired across the room? Those are all manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but they're markers, not a checklist. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit existing within you is where you want to reside. And that comes from, first and foremost, a lifestyle of being drawn to the gift giver, not the gift. You know, in the same way as I was saying earlier about the testimonies, we could say the same about, well, when I pray for people, they fall down. Did I do that? No. Spirit of God did that. Or sometimes people do courtesy falls. It happens. We've all been there. A very enthusiastic minister is praying with a heavy hand of the anointing upon you. Do you want to fight that or do you want to just go down? It happens. We want to be temples of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be born again? For our salvation to be not one of just utterance, not one of just practice, but one of indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you will feel a shift and a change when you have that. 
just before I went on holiday, I talked about how we are all innately capable of sin. But actually, God created us in his image. And so if we are living in a reality where we believe that our greater capability is sin, then we're believing a lie. Because actually, it should be that our greater capability in him is to be in his image. And so therefore, righteousness should be our default, not sin. And actually, I think sometimes, you want to know if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Oh, man, I feel like I shouldn't do this. Oh, when I got road rage earlier, I was driving along, I feel really funny about that. I need to repent. Oh, I'm about to go and tell this person how frustrated I am with them. Oh, but maybe actually I need to check myself first. And it's those little things, those little markers of suddenly you're starting to see something that's pulling you away from this into this. That's not you. That's not your subconscious. That's the Holy Spirit pulling you, being that plumb line, being that restorer, being that truth, being that one who draws you in. The water deals with the flesh and the spirit deals with the birth. And so on one level, this is an incredibly important thing for us to make sure we really know categorically that we are born again. On another level, we also all need to chill out a little bit about how we measure it because it's about saying, Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. You know what? He's good. It says he gives good gifts to those who love and obey him. What's one of the greatest gifts we can ever receive? The Holy Spirit. Jesus even said, I'm sending one to you who's greater than I. It's extraordinary. And so we need to first and foremost make sure we're born again. Why? Because then it goes on. It says, verse 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so if we look to Jesus, we will have eternal life. But also this is a really extraordinary picture here, and this is something that Duncan Smith writes about in his book, Consumed in love. Consumed by love? Consumed by love. Um, and he talks about how there was a time when he was in Toronto um, and he was about to preach on this, this exact verse here about the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness and Jesus being lifted up like a tree. And, and he's going into the scripture and when you look at it, like God's very specific with about how the serpent is to be made of bronze. And Duncan's on his knees at the front and you know, like if you've had, you were here when Duncan was here, he's quite a flamboyant person. He's not one to really internalize. Um, and he's on his knees at the front. And he just yells out to his voice, Why bronze anyway, God? And then he hears a voice almost immediately say to him, Bronze is a very important alloy. It's an alloy, alloy of tin and copper that when melted together is irreversible and becomes greater in its metallurgic qualities after than before. And he's like, God? <laughs> and it just so happens that the guy who stood here in worship is a metallurgist and he is an expert on smelting metals and he hears Duncan yell out why bronze anyway and then he starts telling him exactly what bronze is which is nuts when you think about it but here's the deal right so something happens with the picture of the bronze snake in the wilderness raised up on a tree and all the Israelites when they get bitten by the snakes they look at the serpent they get healed immediately and that is a precursor metaphor to Christ on the cross but this is where it gets even more nuts is that the bronze serpent is a combination of tin 
and copper. Now, tin was a non-precious metal. Copper was a precious metal. And the, the bronze coming to being made out of the copper and the tin is what happens to us. When we say yes to Jesus, he consumes us into himself, into that irreversible alloy. The precious one, Jesus, with the unprecious one, us, become fused as one, where we become made precious in him. And so at the cross, we are fused into him, irreversibly. Like you can't melt bronze and get tin and copper again. It's impossible. Once we've received salvation in Christ Jesus, we are irreversibly changed. Isn't that extraordinary? And salvation and healing run hand in hand together. You know, the word for salvation is sozo. It's also the word for deliverance. It's also the word for healing. It's also the word for being saved. It's an awesome word. So Jesus sozoing you is everything. Everything changes as a result. And so we have belief in our spirit, which leads to obedience in our flesh. There's this beautiful nature that happens when we have that infilling of the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit is that motivation that can overcome our flesh. You know, in worship, there's people at the front on their face in worship or shaking under the power of God. That's not normal behavior. It's the flesh responding to the Spirit within them. going to read some of my notes because I wrote them way better. How much easier is it to be born or to learn to behave? If I'd been born a scouser, would I have had to have adapted, learned, adorned myself with the misperception of what a scouser was? No, I'd have simply been because I was. This is the other extraordinary dynamic of being born again. Is that in the very nature of this verse, there's no condemnation, there's an invitation. Because how much work did a baby have to put into being born? How much work did a baby have to be put into being conceived? How much work does a baby have to do to any of that? Like, zero. It's far easier for us to be born again into his kingdom than it is for us to try and strive our way in. We could try and learn how to do all the stuff. And you look at Simon the sorcerer, in Acts 2, and that's kind of what he's saying. He's like, hey, tell me how I can do this stuff. And the response is like, well, really, unless you follow Jesus and you're willing to lay everything down, then you can't. And if we simply look at the stuff and not him, then we lose the point. But we need to be born again because we can't survive possibly trying to attain it for our own selves. Because it has to be by him. And so we need to stop acting Christian, walking Christian, behaving Christian, pretending Christian. But we need to be born again Christian. Have our nature changed and our flesh will follow. So do you strive to behave or do you live in love and in the freedom of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? We used to, we still do it now, we have testimony time in our staff meetings, but, you know, I feel like it used to, there's been a bit of a culture shift in the last couple of years, really, because it used to be people would come and you could tell the genuine tension in the staff team if they felt they didn't come with a testimony. And it's like, oh, I don't think I've got a testimony. I need to try and like really, really tell this story well to sound like God moved in it. And so, you know, I tripped over the other day and didn't hurt my foot. Praise God. 
And it's just like this kind of, if I squeeze hard enough, uh, testimony's going to come out. I was joking with Caleb recently. He, he came up to me and said, um, Daddy, can you shave your beard off because I want to turn? And, and I was like, no, no, Caleb, you just, you just got to really try hard. And I, I was like, just do this. Go, and you'll grow a beard. And so bless him, he tried and it didn't work. But, he, <laughs> but we, we, we can't approach our salvation like that where we're like, I'm going to try really hard to get saved. And I'm going to try really hard to give testimony to God. And, but actually, if we just simply take a step back and go, okay, God, what are you doing? God, what are you speaking? God, where are you flowing? God, how are you in me and on me? Then it means that an opportunity arises and comes and flows through us, and we get to see God on the move. One of the biggest and most important things I've ever felt God ever say to me in life is never go on holiday from Jesus. And, you know, we're, we're there on holiday, and like in the hotel, there was these walkways that would never, ever be like this in England because we're obsessed with health and safety. However, they were really beautiful. Basically, the main kind of massive lobby over the hotel was um, all these walkways going over this kind of system of ponds and like kind of lanes of water for koi carp to be in. It was really beautiful. It was all lit up at night. And we'd come out of dinner. And we're walking with the kids, about to get them home to bed. And I, again, I was just in that place of just like thanksgiving to God. I was just walking along and I was just like looking at my kids being like, wow, isn't this amazing? These are my kids. God has blessed me with these children. And isn't it amazing that I get to be here in this place? And, you know, God, aren't you good? And I was just genuinely internalizing that. Like, that wasn't my consistent condition. Don't worry. Don't get immediately affected about the fact that you don't do that. I just happened to be doing it in that moment. And I'm walking along, and suddenly I hear a scream and a massive splash. Like, literally, like, there. And I looked across, and bless him, this um, retired gentleman from Washington had not seen that where the path came in a T-junction, that it was dark there, hadn't seen the pond, and had walked straight into it. And in doing so, had smashed his head onto a pillar and wrenched his arm up on the marble floor. And so he wasn't in a good way. He was panicking, his wife's panicking. And, and I think it was Holy Spirit, and I said this to a crew before, I'm like, I know I'm strong, but I'm not that strong, because I bodily lifted him out of the pond like he was nothing, like lifting one of my children. That's Holy Spirit. And then, like, got him laid down, and then, kind of, you know, did the first aid thing, but then also was like, listen, I'm a pastor, can I pray with you? And they were like, oh, you can pray later for us, we're Catholics. And I was like, cool, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to carry on praying for you but and talking to you in language that sounds very normal, but it's actually praying. I was like, oh, you know what, I'm just, oh, bless you. I'm so sorry you fell over. Bless you to be better right now. And, and like, all that kind of stuff. And just changing your language, because I don't want to dishonor them, but I also kind of don't want to be managed by them in that moment, because I don't want their faith to dominate my faith. And so we're there, and then wife starts having a panic attack, and the staff are kind of all running around like headless chickens, not knowing what to do. And, um, but just being able to be a presence of peace in that moment, because the Holy Spirit's in me, because I'm born again. He's there as a river. And so just being able to step back into him and say, God, what do you want to do? What, how do you want to move? And then, you know, it genuinely looked like he had basically severed the tendons on his arm, and his bicep was all swollen up, and like couldn't move his arm, and he had a big cut on his face. And, and then... Basically, ambulance comes, whisks them off, and then I just gave my number to one of the staff at the hotel, being like, look, I really want to know how they are. Can you let me know? And then I got a message the next morning, being like, hi, is there any chance we can see you today? We just want to say thank you. And so we arrive in the lobby, and this guy, Bill, just walks up to me, shakes my hand with the hand that was on the arm that I thought was completely knackered, shakes my hand, and he's got a little tiny stitch on his eye, and a tiny graze on his arm and nothing else. He's like, I don't know what to tell you other than something changed. Isn't that good? I could tell him what happened. I was like, God changed. 
God showed up. Like, that was a brutal impact it had on his life. But, you know, that song, It Is Well With My Soul, when peace like a river extendeth my way. Like, when we get an opportunity to stand and be the peace like a river extending to somebody else's way, that is the kingdom of God. That is being in that place where it comes because at the end of it, Verse 21, when it says, come into the light. It says, for everyone practicing, blah, blah, blah. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may clearly be seen, and they have been done in God. So what does that say? First of all, it says that when we walk in him, born again, walking in the light, living for him, and people see us, encounter us, they see him, but then also they get to testify of him. Because it doesn't say, let your deeds be seen in the light, so everyone can say how amazing a Christian you are. It says... Let your deeds be seen in the light that they have been done in God. Isn't that amazing? And so to be born again is to be born into God, to live by God, to be flowing through God. In Ephesians 5, 8, 14, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow or turning. We are children of light. So we've been baptized through water. We've been baptized through spirit. We've become children of light of a Father of light who has no darkness within him. So firstly, there should be no darkness within us. But so that as we manifest as children of light, the darkness should do what? Flee. Go away. Be gone. Spiritual warfare will change when you truly live as a child of light. Because it's about you showing up. It's not about the prayers you pray. It's not about the fervor you have. It's not about the strength you have. It's about your confidence in him and his light shining through you. I'm going to land with this story. And then we're going we're gonna to pray. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Father of Lights. If you haven't, it's really good. There's a, a guy who's... He was a journalist and a film producer, and he started out his journey as wanting to produce a film disproving Christianity and disproving modern charismaticism particularly. And so he started out on his journey and then basically got saved. He got impacted with the Holy Spirit, and then suddenly the journey became making movies about the God being on the move and alive today. And so there's a number of them. There's Finger of God, there's Father of Lights, there's something else and then there's something else I can't remember what but look them up they're amazing um, but Father of Lights there's this story that's always stuck with me in it and it's about this guy who he's um, he's Indian he's not famous he's not got a pulpit he's not a global televangelist but he is just seeing God move in insane ways in the darkness and so he basically spends his life doing one or two things either in worship looking at the gift giver, looking at God, getting filled with the light, or going to the darkest places he can possibly find and bringing the light there. And it's, it's amazing. And so he spends his life going to places like burial sites where there's you know, these satanic pagan worshippers who, who are cannibalistic and do all this stuff to gain dark power. And he walks in and suddenly they can't do anything. And they all run away or they all get saved. 
And just this, this is just his life. And every day he wakes up and is like, God, where do you want me to bring your light today? And, and then the film crew are with him. And he's like, well, today I felt like the Lord say to phone this person. So I phoned them and they said, actually, can you come? Um, I'm living in a region where there is a witch doctor and his wife who are very powerful. They have control over the animals. They um, can command death over people and they die. They can walk through walls. They can do, and all this list of stuff, really dark stuff. Um, and he's like, yeah, okay. And this guy's so humble, it's amazing. He's just so brilliantly simple. And he's like, okay, I'll come. And so he goes, and the film crew are with him, and they're approaching the house of the witch doctor. And all of their like guides are visibly afraid, visibly scared, not wanting to be there. They're like, what are you doing? The last person to cr- confront this guy was like the ruler of the area, and the next day an elephant trampled him. Like, this guy is intense. You don't mess with this. And so... They worship as they're walking, and they're just singing glory, and they're singing praises, and they're, you know, as Ashley, it hit me when she was reading about the communion journey, that the disciples came together, and they sung a psalm together after the Last Supper. They're worshiping, and and they walk up, and they get outside of the the house, and the witch doctor only speaks the local dialect. The guy speaks in in the local dialect to him and introduces himself. He says, hi, um, hello, sir. Actually, he's quite honorable to him. He says, hi, sir, hello, how are you today? Um, my name is this and this, and I'm a Christian, and I've come to pray for you. And you hear the guy in the background saying, do you not know who I am? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. And then, and then he's translating it all for, for the camera. And, and then they hear the wife speak and say, you know, he has control over da 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 And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And he's like, can I pray for you? And they're like, no. And he goes, okay. So he says in the local tongue, he says, okay. And then he turns to the guys who's translating for, and he just starts praying in English. <laughs> and they have no idea. And so he just goes, okay, well, Holy Spirit, I thank you you're here with me. I thank you your light shines brightest in the darkness. I thank you that you are going to come with your sovereign power right now. Just simple prayers like this. And suddenly you hear a panicked voice from the background of the wife of the witch doctor saying, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Our powers, they're going from us. What are you doing in the local tongue? And then suddenly the power of God comes and they basically just don't know what to do. And then the camera cuts off and you're like, what just happened? <laughs> What's going on? And then they go to a clip from the next day where they interview and the guy and they're like, so, um, yeah, the witch doctor disappeared. He vanished. He's disappeared. There's no trace of him. His wife doesn't understand what's going on. She is, like, in fear and trembling of this higher power that she's encountered. She doesn't know what to do. She can't operate. Um, and then they go back a month later and, like, yeah, there's been no trace of him. There's been a zeroing of child sacrifices in the area. There's been a zeroing of demonic and witchcraft activity in the area. God has come. Come on! Isn't that amazing? When we walk as children of light, we don't need to overcomplicate it. Yes, we need to be wise. He didn't just go, I'm on fire for God, and run into a furnace, and then get surprised when he got burnt. He went, God, where do you want me to go today? God, where do you want me to shine your light today? God, how can I follow and serve you today? And that's the point. And so we need to be born again by the Spirit. And if you're not sure what that is, then we're going to pray into that today. But we also then need to be children of light to the world. We can't just be full of the Spirit for our own little club and come together on a Sunday and do our Ignite groups and that kind of stuff and just just kind of get happy on it. But we need to see the world saved. We need to see the world changed. Globally, as Catch the Fire, we have a mission and a mandate. It's very simply said as to see the Father's love spread until it touches every area of the world. And the particular focus at the moment is the 0 to 25s because that is the most unreached people group on the planet. And so we need to be the light of the world. 
We need to see God move, but we need to start with getting born again with him. And so let's, let's let his glory come. So we're going to land because also the kids have come back, but that's okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if anyone who's in the ministry team is available just to come stand over here next to me. And James, I'll ask you to sort out who that is. Oh, cool. You made a biscuit. Amazing. And what we're going to do, we're going to pray, first of all, I'm just going to get us all to pray for a salvation prayer. Why? Because in all honesty, I'm going to carry on praying a salvation prayer for the rest of my life just to really, really make sure. Because first of all, I, 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 I'm committed to glorifying God, but also committed to being with him for all of eternity. And I don't want to miss out on that. And so I want to make really sure. But also I'm committed to seeing his love flow through me. And I understand from his teaching that I need to be a child of light so that the world that is in darkness can receive the light. Because it says in that verse that it was not to condemn the world that Jesus came. It was to release a world that was already in condemnation. And so the world is in darkness and we need to become the light. And so to do that, we need to really make sure that we are saved and born again so that we can make sure that we are spreading the light of the world. Amen? And so why don't you stand with me if you can. I wonder maybe Eleanor, if you're happy to come and just tinkle on the keys. And why don't we just all pray this prayer? You can repeat after me. Father God, I thank you that you sent your son into the world to die for my sins so that I could be set free from the bondage of sin and released into a relationship with you. God, I don't want to take this for granted. So would you show me how to live my life based on my salvation and the relationship that that brings. And I thank you, Jesus, that through your death, I am restored in relationship to the Father and I can receive the Holy Spirit. And so based on your promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling in me, I receive, open my heart and grab hold of that infilling right now. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Flow through me, Holy Spirit. Mark me, Holy Spirit. Change me, Holy Spirit. And would you birth me again into your kingdom? In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, why don't you give some glory to God? And so there's a few invitations this morning. I'm just going to read something quickly in a second. But invitation number one is if you've never prayed that prayer before, maybe you're online, maybe you're in the room, you came this morning and you just thought, you know what, actually this sounds 
way too good to be true. Well, the good thing is it is good and it is true. Jesus is alive. Jesus did die for your sins and he has set you free. And if you prayed that for the first time, then I want you to come and talk to us. Let us know. We want to journey with you. But also, if you feel like maybe you're just feeling a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I am actually born again. I don't know if I've received that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then that's okay. Come and get prayer from these guys. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all want to bless you to be filled too. And so it may be that you're not sure. It may be you just go, you know what, I need some more Holy Spirit today. But whatever it is, come forward for prayer. But also there was one moment that was incredibly powerful for me in worship when we were at the conference in Raleigh. And it was a worship set being led by Jonathan David Helser. And he sung a new song. And the way he introduced this song was, he was like, this has been my prayer of the last year. He was like, when I was going through the rubbish I've been through in the last year, this is the song that came from my heart. And, and I just really want to just read this over you guys, because I feel like this actually is a prayer for us as well. So it goes like this. Come and do what I'm not able to do. Come and flip every table. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and be the hero I can't be, the saviour that I really need. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So make my heart a cathedral. Make my soul your temple. Make my life an altar where your fire falls. Come and flow like a river. Fill my heart with living water. Holy Spirit, come. Come and do only what you can do. Let your glory fill this room. Holy Spirit, come. And let the glory of the Lord fill this temple. Let the glory of the Lord fill this temple. Let the glory of the Lord fill this temple. Holy Spirit, come. And so why don't you just pray that with me right now. God, make my heart a cathedral. Make my soul your temple. Make my life an altar where your fire falls and let the glory of the Lord fill this temple. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you guys. Thank you guys online for tuning in. Bless you. We will see you next week.